0: The we're going family style deal because I want a bite of your Big Mac and I need some of your Quarter pie. I'll try your fillet fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Great news! For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today.
1: And good evening, one and all, and welcome to the x I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide, as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the x It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction, and fiction, well, nine times out of ten is reality. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's very simple, x at X-Zone TV.com, on MSN Messenger, and all... Systems including Facebook and so on and so forth is Exxon Radio TV. And to find out more about the Exxon Broadcast Network, our broadcast schedule, visit www.xedbn.net. And for the Simul TV broadcast schedule on Channel 19, which is the Exxon TV channel, www.simultv.com. Explanation. my guest this hour is Michael Masters. He is a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Montana Tech in Montana. He received a Ph.D. in anthropology from The Ohio State University in 2009, where he specialized in hominin evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine. Over the years, Dr. Masters has developed a broad academic background, which uh, began studying physics and astronomy at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio with further undergraduate and graduate course work in astrobiology, statistics, astronomy, and physics uh, with a review of developments in modern physics regarding our ever-evolving understanding of time and time travel. Collectively, Dr. Master's background, education, and current research program combines offer a unique perspective and a novel approach to understanding unanswered questions pertaining to widely recognized yet poorly understood aspects of the modern global culture his website idflyobj.com and dr michael masters welcome to the x sir
2: thank you so much it's great to be here
1: uh did your interest in um the topics that you've written about your in in your book and well let, let me ask you at this point blank have you seen a ufo
2: <laughs> no, unfortunately, I have not. Um, I I kind of regret that actually. I I would love to have mm-hmm. seen and obviously been aboard and and meet the individuals that that pilot these incredible aircraft. But um, no, I have not. It, my interest started because my father saw one a very very long time ago, and um, just listening to him recount the experience and mm-hmm. describe what he had seen it. Uh, it sort of sort of piqued my interest, and in, especially after he bought a book that uh, had sort of the the standard gray alien figure right. on the cover, mm-hmm. I I sort of had this moment where I I sort of saw that in the context of of you know us now and and uh, sort of a chimpanzee-like creature, and mm. and it sort of solidified this this possible connection in my mind, and um, just been researching it ever since, and. Um, and and study in anthropology, and especially as a paleoanthropologist, I, I really got to delve deep into the the anatomy and the morphology, and and the cultural changes that have taken place over long-term human evolution.
1: So let me ask you this, doctor: in your in your expert opinion, are UFOs real?
2: Uh, I, having not seen one, it's hard to say from a, you know, an objective yes. standpoint. But I. After reading the Testaments of others and um you know hearing what my father described so many years ago i I certainly believe that it is a real phenomenon, and especially after studying uh, studying the context of human evolution and in mm-hmm. the the past trends that we've experienced in our especially in our cranial facial morphology our, our brain growth and our facial retraction right specifically if those were to continue long into the future we would i mean really come to look something very much like that that quintessential gray alien form so so the pieces sort of fit together more for me in the context of time travel And human evolution, Uh, I I see a lot of problems with with the idea of extraterrestrials, Um, just the, the unlikelihood of humanoid beings evolving on a separate planet to look just like us, to be bipedal, upright, standing and walking, symmetrical humanoid beings with five fingers and toes and eyes nose mouth in the same position. So so yeah I definitely believe in the phenomenon I believe people who have experienced these things and who have been abducted are telling the truth. I I just don't adhere to the the extraterrestrial hypothesis per se.
1: So why is time travel explanation for the UFO phenomenon more logically and more easily supported?
2: Well, I think most importantly, it's it's a testable hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could scour the skies, the heavens, for millennia and, and never find anything, and right. still have that that question: Is there something else out there? And and, mm-hmm. and, and don't get me wrong, uh, I, I certainly believe that life has evolved on other planets. It, it happened here on Earth pretty much as soon as it could have, uh, with dry land and water. So I, I definitely believe that. That there's life on other planets i i just don't think and the evidence doesn't really support that it would ever evolve to look like us or that we would be able to traverse such vast swaths of space mm-hmm. uh deal with the the time that goes with that i mean not just the time it takes for us to do that but there's also a, a time dilation effect that einstein pointed out in the early 1900s of special relativity just traveling at high speed means that time passes more quickly um, for those on that stayed behind that aren't traveling at high speed, they would see time go by very, very quickly. And by the time you got home, mm-hmm. you know, millennia would have passed. Um, and then, you know, in addition to the evolutionary aspects, the, the the distance, there's also that question of how we would find each other. Um, there's so much space. There's so many planets. are so far away. Even sending radio signals out into space, yeah. Um, you know, the closest star, Alpha Centauri, four point two light years away, that that signal will reach it in 4.2 years, but most stars uh, with planets are, are far beyond that. And if there was a life form there, it would also happen to be at just the exact stage of technological evolution, assuming that it would happen the same way, that they developed radio technology, that they would receive it, that they would then respond, and it would take you know hundreds, possibly thousands of years to get back to us. So, so my work is mostly... It, the book doesn't just trash the extraterrestrial hypothesis but it it puts it in the context of of the real logistical difficulties of of finding and communicating with any extraterrestrial being mm-hmm. and obviously the you know the the human evolution the, the uniqueness of our evolution here on this planet and the the unlikelihood that it would happen again is a big part of the book but then to answer your question more directly, the the time travel model is able to explain many of the nuances of this phenomenon better.
1: Let me ask you um, this doctor. Yeah. Um, if the it, if in your opinion the ETs are not going to have, a, you know, stand upright, five fingers, 10 toes, you know, and, and so on and so forth. How is it then possible that they may in fact have the technology to come to Earth. Is it not possible that they may not have the ability to to build craft, to travel space? And isn't it also possible that the the people at SETI may be sending a signal that is totally ununderstandable or unreceivable by another planet or another species?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh certainly a possibility. If there was something out mm-hmm. there and they evolved high intelligence, and, and again, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree that there's life on other planets or there's even intelligent life on other planets. But if they did evolve that intelligence, they should be able to also develop craft that can traverse space. I mean, we're in the early stages of that ourselves. Right. The fact that we've done it indicates that another intelligent life form could also do it the issue for me comes down to them and their evolution evolving to look like something different. And, and here, here's the part where it gets a little tricky because a lot of the book expresses, um, it, it looks at past hominin trends. It looks at Characteristics that, that we have now that have evolved over the last six million years of human evolution and projects them forward uh, That like I mentioned the biggest one is our not just expanding brains But the what we call cranial globularity our brains have gotten more bulbous more balloon-shaped and our faces have shrunken back our eyes have been getting bigger and those things indicate that these creatures uh, if we can tie it into the reports of others. And, and again, that's a more tenuous thing. And that's why I don't base the book on these reports. But it's, it's evidence. It should be taken as evidence. And All right, Doctor, and, stand
1: by. We've got to take our first break. ExoNation, Dr. Michael Masters is our special guest this hour. His website, idfly. OBJ and Dr. Masters, and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the x from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Michael Masters is our special guest. His website is www.idflyobj.com. Um... Doctor, um, Master, you can just you can just call me Mike. All right, Mike. Um, (laughs) What happens if, hypothetically here, we humans on this planet are the most advanced planet in the area? Like, let's say creation started here, and everything else is beneath us when it comes to the uh, evolutionary maturity of a planet and a species how would we explain the ufo phenomenon then
2: uh time travel i mean that's i i think even in the context Mm -hmm. of other planets with other intelligent life forms it's still self-contained i think it's still an earthly phenomenon Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a a very long history on this planet six million years and regardless of what's around us and a lot of people talk about our celestial neighborhood but there's it's not it can't be thought of as a neighborhood these these stars are extremely far apart so even outside of that if if we're all that there is it if this is a real phenomenon i Mm -hmm. think that's probably one of the best explanations that it's it's us in the future coming back through time I would say to study us in the same way that anthropologists now would if we had time travel technology, to learn more about the past, to possibly connect collect DNA right. chromosomes, to help with any sort of bottlenecks of the future genetic population problems. So yeah, regardless of what's out there, what's not out there, I, I believe it's a self-contained phenomenon involving time rather than space.
1: Is your theory supported by the hypothesis that the elongated skulls that have been found in Peru as well as in Egypt are actually or may be proof of a visitation of extraterrestrials and does the does the um, does the evolutionary tract with those elongated skulls does that match your theory
2: um I definitely write about um, what we call intentional cranial modification, mm-hmm. uh, cranial boarding. There's lots of different names right. for it depending on the culture that was doing it. But yeah, I write about that a lot in the book. And um, it, it could be an example. If, if you think about traveling backward in time, just showing up there, regardless of what you're doing, you are going to elicit some response in the people that exist in that time. It's, exactly. it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, how that gets encapsulated in those cultures is probably going to be different depending on the culture, depending on their level of technology, uh, their own state of advancement as it right. comes to civilization yeah. and whatnot. So, so yeah, there's definitely the possibility that these, um, these intentional cranial modification situations are people modifying their children's skulls to look more like uh, what I refer to in the book as extra uh travelers of time, aliens of time, if you will. Um, And not that they were these individuals themselves. Clearly, this is just a case of modifying a child's skull, but it could be sort of an homage Mm -hmm. to that. And there's even some ethnographic evidence of that. There's some studies where cultural anthropologists have asked that, you know, this is still practiced throughout the world. People are still doing this in certain cultures. And they ask, why are you doing this? And they say, because we're instructed to by the gods our ancestors were told to do this by the gods and and it you know it's not obviously not proof but it's it's some indication that there may have been some cross temporal influence uh where they're they're trying to look more like these these individuals from the distant future
1: okay let's let's take that hypothetical situation one step further people come back from the future to visit us for whatever reason, you know, probably because we're a loony bin at this point of our evolution <laughs> and they wanted to see what was happening with, with Judge Kavanaugh and uh, Dr. <laughs> Ford today on Capitol Hill. Certainly. Because of that, there's a big sign somewhere past the moon that says, and Earth ahead, turn around. Um, is there any proof or any evidence to substantiate the claim that time travelers... From the future, have actually come back in time. Um,
2: as far as as evidence, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what the book is about. You know, it's, and it it, it may seem a little, um, uh, I don't know, presumptuous, I guess, to name your book "Identified Flying Objects," um, but but I really do feel that that this text lays out a very strong case for that, and and. Your question makes it hard to pinpoint one specific instance of evidence because there's a lot of evidence that's sort of brought together under this model. Um, As far as actual instances, mm-hmm. there is uh, there was a situation in I believe it was 1980 in the Rendlesham Forest in in England. Sure, where, with Colonel
1: uh, Holt. Yeah,
2: yeah. and uh, a fellow named Jim Penniston, yep. you know, reports that he touched this craft and he was told you know, we're, we're time travelers. We are from the future and we're coming back. And, and I think I actually was just made aware of this recently, fortunately, as I was doing the final edits on this book, so I could incorporate this mm-hmm. into sections specifically about population genetics. But, but he was even told that there's problems with reproduction in the future, sort of a stagnant gene pool, so to speak, and that they were coming back to collect gametes. And, and if you look at abduction reports, uh, so many of them involve you know sperm being extracted from men, eggs being taken from women you now, I, 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 I
1: think we should put the word alleged alleged absolutely
2: yeah. and and I'm very careful about this in the book too is mm-hmm. is these are reported cases and, yes. and like I said earlier, the book doesn't hinge on that at all right uh, I, understand. I, I I don't think we should ignore these things so they're put in the book as circumstantial evidence but but they're not important to the overall argument. It's very much rooted in past trends mm-hmm. and the potential for those future trends to continue. So yes, I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, but you know, Jim Penniston's situation, if we can consider that as as something that did indeed happen, will well, be a case of evidence.
1: I understand there's there's a problem between Holt now and and Penniston, uh, Denniston when it comes to what was said, how it was said, and the validity of the statements being made at the time?
2: Uh, I'm not aware of that, but I definitely would not doubt yeah. it. Um, given how contentious the issue was and how much drama surrounded yeah.
1: it, I, I could definitely understand how that would continue. Let me ask you something, Dr. Mike. What physical aspects of UFOs would seem to suggest that they have the ability to warp space-time? Well, if you look at the,
2: the physical form of these craft, obviously there's variation mm-hmm. among them. You know, there's a lot of different reports, but, but generally speaking, they tend to have sort of this saucer shape, disc shape. Um, and, and if you look at the history of research into uh, the actual physics of time travel, uh, most of them involve cylinders, discs, uh, more recently copper spheres. So there seems to be some aspect of rapid rotation of a massive or highly energetic body that's able to to warp space-time, but more specifically reorient light cones toward the past. And, and light cones, for those that may not be familiar, are just all of the possible things that can happen in reality with the speed of light as the limit. It, there's nothing can go faster than that, so... A light cone is sort of all of the things contained uh, within our future as we move forward, and if you're able to reorient these light cones backward toward the past, mm-hmm. uh, it allows you to move backwards through it. And and at at the moment, uh, in our specific position and in time, this is largely theoretical. But but based on the research that that has been occurring with with Gödel and Tipler and and a number of others and then into modern physics and and the the aspects of quantum physics. And there's still a lot of researchers looking at this rapid rotation and and light as a factor in the equation. So if you look at the physical form of these reported uh, UFOs, they, they seem to have the characteristics of something built to reorient light cones toward the past, to to warp space-time in such a way that that this would be possible.
1: If nothing in the future is set, according to to many who talk about time travel and, and future and so on, is it possible that one day one of these time travelers, if they do indeed exist, come to this time in our planet, do something in the future, that would alter our present therefore you know annihilating this portion of the space-time continuum
2: that is uh, a contentious issue in in most of the the ufo community Uh, how much time do we have before the break because it's kind of an involved answer to the right, question. All right, so why don't we do this?
1: We're going to hold off because we have about a minute left before the break. And uh, explanation. our guest this hour is Dr. Michael P. Masters. He's a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Tech in uh, the state of Montana. He received a PhD in anthropology from Ohio State University in 2009, where he specialized in hominin evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine. His website www.idflyobj.com the name of his book is identified flying objects and the good doctor and i return on the other side of this break as we continue here in the x zone from our broadcast center and studios in hamilton ontario canada don't forget you can get this uh, month's edition of the x chronicles newspaper with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com and you're watching us around the world right here on the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Welcome back. This is the Exxon. You're listening to us around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio, and Simul Radio. Uh, If you'd like to uh, find out more about our guest this hour, Dr. Michael P. Masters. His website is idflyobj.com. The name of his book is... Identified flying objects. Now, Mike, when we went to the commercial break uh, with the news, we were just going to get into the the possibility of somebody from the future coming to the past and changing the past, going back or or taking something from this present time, going into the future and changing the time-space continuum.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really um, interesting aspect mm-hmm. of, of time travel and, and one that, that definitely gave me brain hemorrhages on many occasions <laughs> when writing these parts. But, but the, the, the general understanding, the broad consensus among physicists is that you can't actually change any aspect of the past, present, future. It's all, it all exists as one holistic entity that they refer to as block time. Or landscape time. It's this idea that that all events that have ever existed, mm-hmm. that ever will exist, uh, already are part of this large fourth-dimensional continuum, and it's it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that. It's a very obscure thought, and and we always think, you know, what if I went back and turned left instead of right? You know, mm-hmm. would I still have run into that stop sign and messed up the front of my car? Like, there's there's this idea we like to think that we could change things, but but the, the vast amount of evidence in physics suggests that we can't. And the book mostly focuses on the research of um, a Russian physicist named Igor Novikov and uh, Yakov Zeldovich, one of his collaborators. Uh, what they developed is the the Novikov self-consistency principle. And, and it, it puts all of these events in the context of this continuous fourth-dimensional Space-time and and a lot of research in in quantum physics has has continued to to validate a lot of their early research, uh, showing that that there aren't consistency paradoxes. You know, there aren't ways in which you could change the past to make a different future. Everything is inherently self-consistent. So, as much as you see that in in pop culture and right. you know, Back to the Future with his parents disappearing, yeah. he disappears, and all of that. It, the, the physics doesn't
1: really support that idea, so to speak. But, but once again, the physics are just as much of a hypothesis as the TV shows are. Well, physicists would probably disagree with that. Well, they're that. physicists, and I'm sure the people in Hollywood would disagree with a physicist.
2: <laughs> well, the people in Hollywood are doing it for entertainment. The physicists have a, a peer review process that they have to go through. I, un- I
1: understand that, Doctor, and I'm not taking anything away from the peer review process. But they haven't been able to time travel yet, so right now it's just a hypothesis. I see what you're saying.
2: Yeah, yeah until you're right. Until we have the physical ability yep. to time travel, we we won't know for sure. Um, what they do have that the Hollywood producers don't is mathematics, and the mathematics supports um, this this notion of self consistency. But but you're absolutely right, and and a big part of the first chapter that deals with time, and it was actually suggested by um, one of my peer reviewers who, who has a Ph.D. and who's, who's taught quantum physics and, and thermodynamics mm-hmm. for 20 years. He suggested making that point unto itself, is that this is what we know now. Right. Um, knowledge is always evolving. Science is evolving. That's the scientific process. That's a right. big part of what I'm doing here, is trying to evolve our understanding and- of of science. And And, and you're absolutely right. We have to be cautious, but we can still have valid scientific hypotheses that stand up to mathematical tests and and the rigors of the scientific process
1: itself. But what happens if in the future the mathematics that we believe to be correct today are proven to be wrong? Isn't there going to be a domino effect? Uh, In what capacity? Well, for example, we think we know everything right now. We don't. I don't because, think
2: anybody would claim they know everything Well, right I,
1: I'm not talking about anybody, but, you know, the world in general is very naive. We take certain things for granted. My gosh, Doc, they're still teaching kids in school that Columbus discovered the Americas, which is, which is <laughs> all wrong. Yeah. So how do we know that the mathematics, that, that scientists, physicists, quantum physicists base their, their calculations on? is right it may be right for today but it may be proven wrong tomorrow
2: absolutely and and like you said earlier what are the unintended consequences of that right you know what sort of domino effect could be put in place by us making a mistake uh by us having this conceptualization of something that that isn't accurate uh maybe you know somebody gets killed like with with early space flight or trying to break the sound barrier people died um trying to do these things that you know, we thought we had a good grasp on, it, and it turns out we didn't. Um, the The issue of of time travel, specifically, I I, I do dedicate a good part of uh, that chapter to that question. You know, how, especially with time travel to the past, how do you make predictions about what will happen to this thing? We we mm-hmm. naturally wouldn't send people back first. So we would try to send something to the past that we could program to come back to be able to study it, but. But if you send something in the past and it doesn't come back, all of that data is lost. You have no way of knowing what happened to it because it's just floating through time somewhere. So, so there are a lot of really difficult challenges associated with sending something through time without the ability to measure those effects. Um, but yes, based, based on our current understanding, even, even if you did something that did influence the past, take, take the Roswell incident. Uh, As an example, if if that was time travelers from the Mm -hmm. future who accidentally crashed in 1947 outside of Roswell, New Mexico, there is no way that didn't have an impact on events that that followed that event in 1947. The 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 U.S. military's ability to gain this this machine, this technology. So you're talking about reverse engineering? Yeah, reverse engineering, something that didn't exist before. Is an effect of a future technology being superimposed on the past. But, but as
1: far as I understand, talking to many guests over the years, nothing, nothing could have been developed or reversed engineered from an alleged crash in Roswell that was not already in the works at the time of the crash or alleged crash.
2: Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know yeah. about that i'm just i'm talking as a hypothetical oh, I see. if if that had happened mm-hmm. and it was from the future yeah. that before that event you know maybe we were already researching things maybe we weren't i don't know uh very few people do know but after that if it was someone from the future a group mm-hmm. of individuals from the distant future visiting the past accidentally crashing the events that Follow that leading up to the time when that crash or when those individuals left from the future to crash in the past again is what's referred to as a closed time like loop. That those events in the past and the future are self consistent and they were always part of the same. Uh, continuum. They're always a part of block time. They exist as two separate moments, one in the past, one in the future, but they're intricately linked through time. So so regardless of, of what happened at Roswell or right. whether anything was learned from it, when you deal with time travel and something from the future influencing the past, that was always going to happen. It was always going to influence that moment and then things that came after. And, and the cranial modification very well could be an example
1: of that as well. Once again, we're we're surmising that time travel is real. Yeah, I mean, we're not able to do it right now. Mm-hmm. But, but, does it, that, if, but does that mean that it, it can be done or it will be done in the future?
2: Well, I would argue that what we see now and what we have seen throughout history and prehistory in the form of UFOs and, and alien beings is evidence that it will eventually be a reality just because we don't do it now Mm -hmm. if we are able to do it in the future and they are visiting us in the past this is exactly what we'd expect to see
1: then how come there's no physical evidence to support this hypothesis uh what do you mean by physical evidence there's no crashed ufos there's no there's no uh let me see there's no specimen of an extraterrestrial You know, it it, is. ufology is the thing of science fiction. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of hype, but absolutely no proof. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. And like
2: I said earlier, that's why the book doesn't hinge on that. Mm -hmm. It makes it very clear early on that this isn't a straw man fallacy situation. It's not saying that we have this extraterrestrial phenomenon. Let's beat that up and replace it with an extra tempestrial explanation. What it does is it takes the, the reports, the alleged encounters of people, the close encounters, it takes events that, that you know, people do strongly adhere to and, and espouse with, with great veracity that this happened to me, and, and it takes those things and tries to offer a better explanation for them but it certainly doesn't it doesn't hinge on that and i think the extraterrestrial phenomenon hinges on there being alien life out there on another planet and this this doesn't it it, it takes a very broad based temporal look at, at the at the prehistory of humans the recent history and and especially the the long term evolutionary changes
1: and and applies them to the UFO phenomenon. Mike, stand by, we've got to take our final break. Exxon Nation, Dr. Michael Masters is our guest, www.idflyobj.com. The name of his book is Identified Flying Objects and uh, Dr. Michael Masters and I will return as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell, don't go away. Next Nation, our guest this hour is Dr. Michael Masters. His website is www.idflyobj.com. Now, the book that we're talking about, Identified Flying Objects, will not be out until March of 2019. So if you'd like to keep track of the publishing date of the book, when it will be totally available, once again, visit Dr. Masters' website at idfly obj.com and once the book is published it will be available amazon.com as well as all the other online and brick and mortar bookstores Uh, michael great having you with us i love the way that you think and uh, let me ask you this why is it so important to keep this scientific debate and uh, and to avoid speculation and unfounded claims
2: uh, I think there's sort of been a blurring of lines in the recent past. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the science and belief have sort of been melded into one. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's important to draw a distinction between the two. And this has come up in our conversation tonight quite a few times, that there, there are things that we know. Mm-hmm. There are things that we tangibly can know that have been proven with scientific rigor many, many times with experiments, observational studies, and then there's just simply things we can't. And what I'm trying to do is bring a little more scientific fastidiousness and, and evidence-based abductive logic and reasoning to the UFO phenomenon, but still recognize that there there are unanswered questions. and And especially, you know, as you pointed out earlier with regard to the the mechanisms of time travel and and how we physically do this we just we can't know yet if they if these ufo's are time travelers if these are extra tempestrials from our future mm-hmm. they could at any point fill us in on that um, so we we could possibly learn beforehand but but regardless the the idea is testable in the sense that time itself will test it as as we go deeper into the future if we end up inventing time machines and we have bigger more bulbous heads and smaller faces and bigger eyes, and we're going back, picking people up, you know, anal probing them and taking semen and skin samples and everything else, then it's pretty good evidence that it was us all along. But you see that, that,
1: that to me doesn't make sense. That to me does not make sense because if they are us in the future, why would they need to probe us? Why would they need to take semen? Why would they need to take eggs? If they're that advanced, why could they not, first of all, go into their databases, recreate what they're looking for, and then use it? Because if they are so advanced, wouldn't our physiology not work with theirs?
2: Well, you're making the assumption, though, that that humans will be infinitely advanced. Just because we can spend time and yeah. space doesn't mean that we'll be able to solve all problems that ever confront humans. What, what if we nuke each other in the next 10 years? We sort of reset the clock a little bit yeah. and we start things over. What if, all, what if all major forms of information and data are lost?
1: Well, let me ask you that. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, scenario. If we were to nuke ourselves to the point of total annihilation, would that not kill the future?
2: It would indeed. If every human being on Earth died, mm-hmm. that is very good proof that this hypothesis is wrong, <laughs> because it, a it, way to prove it. <laughs> it, it, hinge, it hinges on us continuing to exist in the future and continuing the same technological and cultural advancements that we've had, continuing the same six million-year-old trends in our mm-hmm. craniofacial anatomy, mostly tied to our bipedalism. So, so yeah, absolutely. Um, the likelihood that a nuclear blast will annihilate every human is pretty low, um, but you know what that would do is it would create a genetic bottleneck and if you know going back to Jim Peniston, whether or not you know that actually happened sure. and whether or not his account is true, there are instances of genetic bottlenecks in human history as as recently as seven thousand years ago with the Neolithic, you had all of these patriarchal tribes killing each other and we had a reduction in the frequency of, of y-chromosome variation simply because of these broad-based wars that stem from agriculture and, and that led to genetic homogenization across humans ever since. And if if those types of events continued into the future, Jim Penniston's claim about coming back in time to get new gene variants would make a lot of sense. And again, the book doesn't hinge on that, but there's there's a lot of things about humans that are a little precarious and especially with our past, you know, wars and just mm-hmm. aggression toward one another and constructing the other for no reason whatsoever, other than to kill people. Cause we clearly love it. There's, there's a lot of reasons why we could lose what we have now and have to sort of go back to the past to find out what we used to be like. And, And, you know, as an anthropologist now who's done digs all over the world and, you know, I worked at a Neanderthal site in France and an Australopithecine site in South Africa, our only way to get this data was to dig down through the earth, to dig through the dirt to get it. Mm -hmm. If we could just spin back time and go back and pick these guys up and we would do the exact same things that are reported in these these abduction accounts. And and there's tempting parallels there. There's really tempting parallels between what I would do as a paleoanthropologist and what is being recounted in these instances of abductions.
1: There are those in uh, today's society who believe that there are multiverses, there are multi-dimensions. If in fact there are multiverses and multi-dimensions, how does this affect the time travel hypotheses?
2: It, It doesn't. Um, well, essentially what I'm talking about is, is dimensional travel. I mean, coming from the future mm-hmm. into the past is traveling through the fourth dimension.
1: But what happens if there's more than four dimensions?
2: Then that's for somebody in a different dimension to figure out. <laughs> I, I'm in this one. <laughs> I only know this dimension. Physicists only know this dimension um i'm not at all discounting the work mm-hmm. of, of very prominent physicists who um who who adhere to the idea of multi-dimensionality string theory and so yes. on and so forth all, all i'm talking about is is these three dimensions of space and continuity among this one dimension of time
1: in the big picture the big scheme of things how is the study or the investigation into time travel, quantum physics, and multi-dimensions, multiverses, have a positive, positive effect on humanity right now?
2: Hmm. That's a really interesting question. I I don't know if it does. Most people don't care about time. Most people don't think about time in any sort of macrocosmic way. It's, we, we all experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Augustine wrote about this in the 1600s, that, that it governs everything we do, but we also don't, don't care to think about it or really posit what it means in the grand scheme. So, I, I mean, even physicists struggle with this. They, they realize that, that all moments in their immediate future are already going to happen the way they were going to happen, you know, spilling coffee on your pants at work next week or yeah. uh, you know, your grandma dying in a couple of months. So, so really, our perception of time, the way we deal with it in a day-to-day capacity versus how it's understood in in the realm of physics and, and quantum physics specifically, i I don't think it'll really impact us at all, positively or negatively. It's just it's kind of something that we ignore. Would I we so,
1: Would I be correct in then comparing uh, modern day physicists and, and learned people like yourself as? As, as modern day philosophers as well? Philosophers would probably be pissed about that statement. Yeah, well, but, I, I've got to have that <laughs> pissing off people all over the place.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually, uh, I'm on a, a social network for academics called ResearchGate, mm-hmm. and I asked a question uh, along the lines of free will and determinism, yeah. and it, it blew up. You had, <laughs> you had the physicists not really on one side but but they were pitted off against philosophers on the other side and there's you know the metaphysical existential yeah. physical it's it's something that's going to take a while to really nail down uh there's no doubt about that and 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 like i said my peer reviewer uh did well to to inform me that you know that there should be an opening paragraph about how we there's we just can't really know about time until we truly understand it but i i would argue that that the ufo phenomenon loosely speaking could be considered evidence that we will eventually figure out time and uh, the logistics the mechanism of backward time travel
1: would you then say that coincidences and synchronicities could be a possible Doorway to those who have problems with the um, time travel scenario to take a second look at these These synchronicities and coincidences in their life
2: Yeah, maybe I mean there's yeah. there's a lot
1: of applications,
2: you know To the people's individual lives and and really it, it's been eye-opening for me I mean my again my my background my PhD is in human evolutionary anatomy and and archaeology and and you know biomedicine so So learning so much about the way time works has really given me new insights on life. And I I live my life differently because of it. I I feel like I understand things or see things or or appreciate moments more than I used to just simply because of this this new awareness of
1: of time. Well, speaking about time, Doctor, you and I have to say so long because our time is up for tonight. You are more than welcome back anytime, sir. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Continued success. And we all look forward to li- uh, reading your book when it comes out next March. And once again, the exonation, the name of Dr. Master's book is entitled, got your pencils? All right. Identified flying objects. And his website is idflyobj.com. Good night, doctor. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having My me. My pleasure, sir. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
0: Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.